Thanks, man. <clears throat> Thanks, Jason. I appreciate that. You know, uh, I think all my life I have been taught that you underplay things like birthdays and that you don't make a big deal out of that and you don't want to be the center of attention, which totally goes contrary to how much I enjoy being up here and, and talking to you. But um, I'm getting healthier in my old age and realizing that that's not a healthy uh, frame of mind to think, well, you know, don't, don't say happy birthday. Don't, you know, th- that's just not a healthy way to look at life because it's cutting other people out. And it's kind of like a pessimistic look view of life as well. And so as, as I grow in, uh, in my relationship with Jesus, I'm, a, I'm, I'm gaining the ability to see things like that in a different light. And so thank you for acknowledging my birthday and thank you all for uh, clapping for me. I appreciate that very much. So thanks. All right. Uh, Boy, this, this whole thing, healing on the streets, the word Jason uh, gave in that first service and, and repeated here, I think is pretty powerful. And um, I, I take it to mean that we're coming into a season as a church body where we're really coming into the vision that God gave to us at the very beginning. And we've been pressing this direction for years and, and sometimes maybe backing off the gas too much and sometimes maybe putting the, the gas pedal down too hard. But we're in, entering into a season where we're really seeing the Holy Spirit work in a more powerful and profound way than ever before. And particularly in the whole idea of outreach and evangelism, I mean, the whole thing needs to be outwardly focused. Otherwise, then we just become like this club that meets and we, you know, this self-congratulatory thing that becomes ingrown. And really, to see God's power flow, we have to be on the edge of touching the lives of people uh, just out in the community and out in life and out in the world. And uh, I'm convinced that uh, we all are called to be a part of what Jesus is doing. I liked what Jason uh, said about the extrovert, introvert thing, because sometimes we, we kind of assume that it's the extroverts that are supposed to be the evangelists. The extroverts are supposed to take Jesus to the rest of the world, and the introverts are supposed to stay home, watch the kids, and you know, take care of stuff. But uh, Jesus called extroverts and introverts to follow him. And just think of it like this. If you had been sitting alongside a road and Jesus and Jesus walking by and he has like Peter and James and John and, you know, a couple of the key women that, that followed him or with him. And he turned to you and said, come and follow me. I want you to leave this behind what you're doing right now. And I want you to come and follow me. And if you want to know what we're going to be doing is going out here and talking to people and praying for them, and we're going to see miracles happen, and we're just going to go everywhere and touch people's lives. Would you have sat back and said, well, Jesus, you know, I'm an introvert. Or Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm not made to do that. I'm made to do this instead. You know, my gifting isn't that. My gifting is this instead. Now, I, I think we would all like to look back on that and say, yeah, I would have jumped up and ran after Jesus and followed Jesus. And so what we believe is Jesus is saying that to each one of us today. He's saying, follow me, follow me. And what that means is, first of all, everywhere I go in life, whether it's into my employment or to a family gathering or a neighborhood gathering, a 
little league uh, parents meeting, wherever I am, I am carrying the presence of the kingdom into that place. And I'm ready and willing to be Jesus' expression of his life to other people in that place at any moment in time. And so I think that's what God's, God has us all in a growth track that direction, okay? Now some of us might be uh, at step eight and some of us might be at step one. That's okay. Wherever I am is okay as long as I'm just willing to say, okay, Jesus, what's my next step? How do I grow in this whole thing? And, and how, how, do, how do I engage? Really, healing on the streets is going to be a great way for all of us uh, to get engaged with an outward-focused, Holy Spirit-empowered, healing-type uh, ministry. So I'm really excited about it and, and look forward to it. I think it's going to change Coleraine and the city of Cincinnati. And the vision that I have in my heart, I believe God's put there for the city of Cincinnati is... That will be a place, a city, not just this church, not just Coleraine, not just the northwest side of Cincinnati, but the whole city will be known for healing. And that across the country and around the world, people are going to say, you diagnosed with cancer, go to Cincinnati, Ohio. Go to Cincinnati, walk up and down the streets, go to the mall on the northwest side of town. If you hang out there for very long, someone's going to ask you if you can, they can pray for you. There are people being healed there. And, and I believe God, God's doing that. That's what he's called us to as a church is to be part of that and, and really to be a key piece of that in, in releasing this to the whole city. And so healing on the streets is, uh, is kind of like our gift to the city of Cincinnati. It's God's gift to the city of Cincinnati, but we, we kind of get to, to be a big part of delivering it. And so I... Man, what I want to say is at the end of this service, or even right now, I'd be happy if you all interrupted my message right now, and if you want to all get up and go back and register for healing on the streets, I will, I'll tell a few jokes after you all get back to your seats and we'll call it a day, okay? <laughs> so feel free to go back there and register right now. Uh, at the end of the service, just make a beeline back there and register for this training. It's going to be phenomenal. And uh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our lives and, uh, and really um, change this city's life. Okay, a couple of jokes. All right, ready? The first one. Um, you have to listen carefully now. Okay, so a dad's going through a drive-in, and he has two, two kids behind in, in the back seat, and he's going through a drive-in window. He ordered a, a box of chicken nuggets he's going to share with both of his kids and one uh, carton of white milk. And then he realizes, well, they're each going to want their own milk. So he says uh, through the speaker, uh, and I want an extra white milk too, an, an extra white milk too. And so the person uh, serving says, well, sir, we only have one kind of white milk, and it's all pretty white. <laughs> Did I not tell that well? Was that, was that me? I think that was me. I think it was me. All right, here's one. There's a car accident at, a, at an intersection. Two cars collide. You know, nothing major, but the, the owners of the two cars get out, and they're talking, and they're both pretty, you know, kind of shaken up, and the one guy particularly. So the other guy runs back to his car and gets a little flask of whiskey, and, and he brings it out, and he goes up to the guy, and he says, you look really shaken up. You need a drink. Here, take a, take a slug of this. So he, gives, he takes a slug of it. That's a little better. And he says, well, no, you really still look shaken up. You better have another one. So he takes another one. 
And then as the guy's screwing the cap back on, he says, well, um, don't you want one? You look kind of nervous too. And he says, no, I think I'll wait until after the police here get here. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, all right. Not a good day. You'll like this one. So Tom Brady, New England Patriots quarterback, in case you don't know, passes away, and he goes to heaven, and God's showing him around heaven, takes him through a couple neighborhoods, and then they enter a really nice neighborhood, come to a nice big house, and it's totally decorated in uh, New England Patriots um, garb, and looks like, it really looks like a New England Patriots home. It's a nice big house. And this is Tom's house. And so he gets that. And he's thinking, wow, this is nice. This is the biggest house on the block. And they made it special for me. And then later that day, Tom's out walking around heaven. And he comes into another neighborhood that is really much nicer than his neighborhood. And, and he sees one house that is just a huge house. And it's totally Bengals. All Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals symbols and, and stuff all over it. And he's a little bit put out by that, and he finds God. He says, God, what's up? You know, I'm Tom Brady. I've won six Super Bowls. Andy Dalton only won four Super Bowls. And why does he get this huge mansion? And God says, oh, Tom, he says, you don't understand how this works. First of all, the size of your house has nothing to do with how many Super Bowls you won. And secondly, that, that's not Andy Dalton's house. That's my house. Okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, good. All right, all right. Awesome. I wasn't sure if you'd laugh at that or not. I had a follow-up to it in case you didn't laugh. Do you want to hear the follow-up? Okay. Okay, so pretend you didn't laugh before. The follow-up is, yeah, I know that wasn't a good joke because a good joke has to be somewhat rooted in reality. And... Um, and I mean, come on now, come on now, give me, come on, listen, 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 listen. I mean, a New England patriot in heaven, who's going to believe that? All right. Okay, in, in, the, in the remote chance that Tom Brady hears this message, Tom, we love you. And uh, bless you and uh, just keep doing well. All right, better stop there. Okay, so the series we're in is a series on who is Jesus. And uh, the reason for that is we've been focused on our identity in Christ this whole spring. And what does it mean to be a believer in Jesus? What does that mean? And, and what does it mean to have an identity in him? An identity in him means that we have union with him. And at the core of who we are, we are Jesus' people now. And so in order to know who I am, I have to have an understanding of who he is. And so we've been looking at different aspects of who Jesus is and what that means uh, to each one of us. Now, to take just a moment to talk about nature or to talk about identity, what is identity? What does that mean? And, and I would use the word nature to describe an identity. Uh, identity goes beyond um, my thoughts. 
It goes deeper, certainly deeper than my actions or deeper than what other people perceive me to be or what other people think of me. And even deeper than my desires. Uh, Identity runs right down to to the sense of my DNA, the core of who I am. And the word nature really describes that well. So think of a bird. There are a lot of different birds, but there are some birds that are songbirds. Now, a songbird doesn't have to study singing. They don't have to, they don't have to be taught, you know, you're a songbird. They don't sing because singing is better than not singing. They sing, why? Because it's in their DNA to sing. It's in their nature to sing. And when we say that we are new through Christ and we have an identity in Christ now, what we mean by that is that we have been changed at the core so that who we are now by nature, by our desires and our inclinations are to pursue God, to honor God, to love God, to follow Jesus. And so the way it works is when I see Jesus and, and, I, and I really have revelation of who he is, not just in the sense of, you know, I hear another story and I add some new facts about who he is, but I really see him. And the Holy Spirit's revealing that to me. It's like that new nature, the core of who I am just kind of like vibrates with excitement and with joy. And it it wants to be like him. I'm already inclined to be like him. So when I see him, then I am drawn into his life. And I experience more of his life. Before I met Jesus, before any of us meet Jesus... Our nature is found in an identity in this fallen world. Okay, so before I knew Jesus, my identity was in this world. And I'm not just saying I identified with the world, but I'm saying the core of who I, my nature fit into a fallen world system. Now, I inherited that from my parents, got that from my parents, as well as a lot of other uh, basic DNA type makeup things. And so a lot of my inclinations that I, that I had before I knew Jesus were just, it's just stuff that my dad passed on to me. Inclinations, desires, ways to look at life, tendencies. And as, as a little boy, the more I got to know my dad, the more I became like him. Why? Because I had his nature in me. And you know, for me, in those early years, it led to some rough years because my dad didn't come to know Jesus until later in his life. And, uh, and, but it, there was something in me that was inclined to go his direction. And when you come to know Jesus, he gives you a new heart. And that means a new nature. The old nature is gone. That old person is crucified. It's dead. It's not like there are two people inside of me trying to duke it out. You know, a good van and a bad van. And good van and bad van are fighting it out to see. No, I have a new nature. And my new nature desires God, desires to walk with Jesus and be like Jesus. Now, the problem is I still have old thoughts. I still have memories of that old van. And so my, a lot of my thinking patterns are still locked into the old nature system. And that's why I have inner turmoil and conflict. That's why, that's why people feel guilty. It's because 
the, the, the mind, the, the thought patterns I have are not consistent with the heart I have. And so as I see Jesus, then my new desires and the new inclinations just kind of like are brought to life. And I'm able then to experience his life and to walk in his life more. And so we've been, we've been talking about this for um, a number of weeks now. But the concept of new identity is a new testament. It's a new covenant concept. But it was promised under the old covenant. In the Old Testament, God said, hey, someday here's what's going to happen. I'm not just going to give you laws to live by. I'm actually going to change your heart. And I'm actually going to give you a desire to live my way. I'm going to actually move inside of you so that you are in union with me and I am in union with you. And it's going to be natural for you to follow me. It's going to be the most natural thing you can imagine. And so we see that promise uh, illustrated in different places. But one of those places is in Ezekiel 36. And here the prophet is, God is speaking and, and the prophet is uh, speaking on God's behalf. Writing down God's word. And here's what God says. He's saying in the future, someday, when Messiah comes, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a what? New heart. Let's say that together. A new heart. Say it. I have a new heart. I have a new heart. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. When he says spirit, spirit is talking about inclinations. Heart is talking about core rooted identity. And then spirit is talking about the inclinations that come out of that core identity. And so my, your, your new spirit is going to love righteousness. It's going to love Jesus. It's going to love worship. It's going to be, it's going to read the Bible and say, I can't get enough of this. And so he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And then he says this, I'll put my spirit in you and he will move you to follow my ways. So what we see here is, first of all, cleansing, forgiveness, guilt gone. No longer guilt, no guilt. You know, the Bible says that Jesus took our guilt. Jesus took our shame. He took our sin on himself. And when he died on the cross, he took my sin and everything, everything involved with it on himself. And he, he killed it. He, he, he uh, destroyed it. He paid for it totally so that it has no more grip on my life. I can be forgiven and released from the guilt of sin. And released from the doubt of, of, uh, of my actions. or And my sins forgiven past, present, and future. Even stuff I haven't done yet is already forgiven. And the Bible says that Jesus, in exchange for our sin, he gave us his righteousness. So I have his righteousness. It's not like I have it in a special card in my wallet that says Jesus is righteousness. If you get into trouble, get out of jail free. You have Jesus. It's not like that. No, he implants it in us. When he changes me, when he changed me, when he changed you, if you know Jesus, then he changed you. When he did that, he implanted a righteous heart into you. And so we have his righteousness now. But he goes on to say uh, he'll cleanse us from impurities and idols. And he's saying there he's going to give us freedom from compulsive sin. And he's going to give us a new heart, which means a new identity, a new nature, 
And then the Holy Spirit in us cooperates with that new heart to take those desires I have and just to bring them to life, to stir them. And when I see Jesus, that's when, that's when that new nature in me just starts to kind of like vibrate and pulsate. And, and there's just activity happening in there. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, let's latch on to that. Let's magnify that desire to love other people, okay? Let's just, and, and here Jesus, I see Jesus and something happens and I become more like Jesus, that's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 18. It says this. It says, And we all, gazing at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Okay, transformation takes place as I see Jesus. And so it's so important that we study who he is and understand who he is. And, and today what we want to do is talk for a few minutes about this. That Jesus is the door. All right? Jesus is the door. Jesus is the gate. All right? So, well, let's just look at the verse here. Uh, This verse where Jesus uh, spoke these words in John 10, 9 and 10, Jesus said this. He's talking about shepherds here and sheep and, and using that as an overall analogy. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. And he'll go in and out and find pasture. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, now a shepherd's job is to take care of the sheep, to make sure they get the right pasture, the right water, that they live and that they're healthy. And when Lori and I were in Israel in in 1994, I remember uh, driving through the countryside and seeing in different places these sheep pens. They'd just be out in the middle of fields. Uh, I remember seeing one that was all stone, and another that was dirt. It was just mounded dirt. And some of them would be made of branches of wood and sticks all woven together. But here's the thing. They didn't have like a gate like we would normally think of a pen, that a pen would have. Because what would happen, it be the, the shepherd would have his flock of sheep out there, and he would find a sheepfold, and he would put all of his sheep in it, and then he would lie down across the opening. So that the shepherd was the door. You had, to go, you had to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep. So the shepherd was the door. And he was the one that then would open up the sheep and allow the sheep go out. Come on, I'm going to show you where the, where the good grass is. Come with me. And then bring them back to safety and take them out so they could enjoy life. They had life. And Jesus is using that analogy to describe who he is and who we are and how we experience his life. That he's saying he is the door to heaven type of life. He's the door to a, a life that is a life that is a supernatural, God-filled, Holy Spirit-blessed life. Jesus is the door for that. Now, you think of a door and you think, well, what do doors do? What do gates do? I know that illustration uh, gives us some insight into it, but... I'm thinking of doors in, in this respect, that a door opens up one room to another, one space to another. And what it does is it allows the environment from one room to pour into the environment of another. Have you ever been in a meeting or you've been in a room and, and there are a number of people in it and someone says, it's getting stuffy in here. You know, it's getting hot and it's hard to breathe. You know, we've all been breathing the same air. And, and what do you do? You open the door or you open a window. You, 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 
you open something to allow another environment to come in and invade the environment that you are in. And when Jesus says he is the door, he is talking about the fact that he is the one that heaven uses to to break into this world. He's the conduit, he's the portal for heaven to break into this world. Now, let me show you that, okay? In the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Jacob. And uh, Jacob was um, uh, descendant of Abraham, and uh, he, his name is changed ultimately to Israel, and he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. But uh, Jacob had uh, gotten into trouble in his family life. He lied to his father, and not a good thing to do. And he deceived his brother and stole from his brother. Not a good thing to do, especially since his brother was a wild man. And, and so he's in trouble in the family. And so what they did was they sent him back to, home, to their hometown. They said, we got to get him out of here. I mean, Esau is likely to kill him someday. He's so mad at him. And the dad's probably thinking, I'm kind of sick of him myself. So what are we going to do with him? So they send him back to their home territory to find a wife. Now, that might not sound that hard today. You know, let's, well, let's drive to New York, back to, you know, home base. But in those days, this was like, you're sending him away, and you never know if you'll see him again. He has no idea if he'll ever come back home again, if he'll make it even to his destination. And so, he leaves on his journey, and before he left Palestine, he had, he had, he had uh, traveled a ways, and he came to a place, and he had to sleep. It was night, and he found a spot to sleep under the stars. And so Jacob is asleep at night out in the open, and here's what happened in uh, Genesis 28. Can we get that up there? It says, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And then it goes on, God gives him a promise, and he says, you will come home again. I will bless you. You will become great in my eyes, and you will fulfill everything I have for you. So God gives him all these great promises. But uh, we just want to look mainly at this vision that he had. So he sees a vision of a stairway connecting earth and heaven. Now, I know how many of you are playing Stairway to Heaven in your mind right now, okay? Should we just sing it and get it out of the way? Yeah. Everybody climbing the stairway to heaven. All right, so this stairway is the equivalent of the gate. This is the portal. This is the connecting point between heaven and earth. And Jacob gets to see it. And he says, angels were walking up and down. What what do you picture with that? Like, here's what I've always pictured with that, that the angels are there. They're just kind of like going down the steps. Yeah, I don't know why we're doing this, but, uh, you know, boss said we have to do this. So let's just keep walking up and down these steps. You know, like, I think we're supposed to go like this. But that's not what was happening at all. That's not it. What he was getting to see was how God works on the earth. He was, these angels were coming down, going on assignment. 
They were being sent by God out into the earth to do what God wanted them to do. And the ones that are going back up, they're coming back to report in and to get their next assignment. And so he's seeing the angels actually fulfilling the will of God and doing the will of God. And so when Jacob wakes up the next morning, he draws some conclusions. He's blown away by this, and and he draws some conclusions. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, how awesome is this place? That's a pretty good statement, isn't it? This place is awesome. And then he says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. All right, the house of God, the gate of heaven. He's using those two different uh, pictures to describe one thing. So the house of God. House of God, if it's God's house, God's will is going to be done there, okay? So this is the place where God's will is done on earth. It's the gate of heaven, all right? So this is the place where heaven invades earth. This is the connecting point between heaven and earth, This is the door that you open up, and when you do, that fresh breeze of heaven blows in, and it blows away the staleness, and it blows away the depression, and it blows away the addiction, and the anger, and the resentment, and the greed, and it blows all those things away because it's God's will that's being released into the earth. And so Jacob has this incredible vision of how God works in the earth, releasing angels to come and to do his bidding. And then they come back to him and report back in, and he sends more out, and they come back. And in that, God gives Jacob that incredible promise, you're going to be okay. I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to bring you back. And so Jacob recognizes this and uh, is, is just, he's just dumbfounded by it. But what we need to do now is to jump ahead and look at something Jesus said. If you were here last week, uh, you will re- you, you remember Wilson used this passage uh, about Jesus interacting with Nathaniel uh, in a different way. But Jesus encounters this guy, Nathaniel. And he says to Nathaniel, he gives Nathaniel what we would call a word of knowledge. It's a piece of information that Jesus can only know because God revealed it to him. But it's about Nathaniel's life. And it tells Nathaniel God loves him and knows him and cares about him. And so he does that. And Nathaniel says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of God. And then Jesus says, uh, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He says, you will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, first, side note, do you want more revelation? You want more? Honor what you have. Honor what you have. That's what Jesus said. You believe just based on that? Wow, I'm amazed, Nathaniel. You're going to get more. You're going to get more. I've got got more for you. You're going to get more. Why? Well, because Nathaniel responded to the revelation he had with belief, and, and he expressed his belief. And so when we, when we receive and, and live in the revelation we have, we get more. But then look at this. Now, recognize this. Nathaniel was a godly Jew. He knew the Old Testament. He knew this story about Jacob, okay? He knew it. And now Jesus says, I say to you, you'll see the heavens open and you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man 
whom you just said, I'm the son of man, right? You just said, Nathaniel, I'm the Messiah. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on me. Amen. All right, so the stairway represents what? The, it's the portal. It's the opening between earth and heaven. Jesus is saying, that, not that angels are going to come down and sit on his shoulder and then fly back to heaven. <clears throat> I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like, isn't it? That's not what he means. He means they're going to be coming through me. I'm the one that's going to release this now. I'm the one that's going to release heaven to earth. I'm the one that opens up the atmosphere of heaven and releases that environment of heaven into the earth, into your life. And he does that into your life, okay? If you know Jesus, then you know this, that he wants to do this in your life because Jesus is in you. He wants to reveal more and more and more of heaven's life, of the environment of heaven into your life. And we're going to see in a moment through you as well. And so Jesus is totally reinterpreting this for Nathaniel. And in Nathaniel's thinking, um, the gate of heaven, the house of God, was the city Bethel because that's what Jacob, he named that place Bethel. It means house of God. And in the Old Testament, there were key moments where people traveled to Bethel in order to connect with God, in order to get an answer to something they needed or, or to have a king anointed. The, the, oftentimes, Bethel was the place they went. And now Jesus is saying, okay, in the Old Testament, it was a place. Now, it's a person. He says, the place was pointing to the person all along. God never intended it to be a place full time. The place was a, a, just a, a, a placeholder to point to the person of Jesus. And he is the one who himself is the conduit of heaven into this world and into this life. Now, um, Jesus, Jesus showed that everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he released the life of the kingdom. We call it the kingdom of God. You could also refer to the kingdom of God as the place that God's will is released, where the environment of heaven is released. We're talking about the same thing. And everywhere Jesus went, he told people the kingdom of God is here, and then he healed people as evidence of it. Because when the kingdom of God comes, when heaven comes, there's no sickness. And he would say the kingdom of God is here, and then he'd free the demonized. Because when heaven's environment invades earth, then there's no demonic oppression anymore. He would say the kingdom of God is here and people will be freed from addictions because there's no addiction when the, the environment of heaven floods in, there's no more addiction. Isn't that right? That's cool. And so Jesus was that portal. He's the stairway. And then here's the, the most amazing thing to me is that as Jesus lived out his life and his ministry, he prepared his apostles to do what he did. And he, he, he sent them out with authority and power to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to declare the kingdom of God is coming, which is exactly what Jesus had done. And then after his resurrection, after he had done it all, he paid for the penalty of sin, he rose from the dead, defeating death and bringing us into union with him, if, if we put faith in him, after that, then he's talking to his apostles and he says this to them in John 20. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, just take that verse home and meditate on it, okay? Jesus is saying, all right, you know how the Father sent me from heaven into earth in order to release the kingdom of God here? You know, I came with that mission 
I came with the presence of God on my life and the mission of releasing heaven's life into this world. Just as I was sent, and the language in the Greek text means just as. In the same way, exactly the same way, just as I was sent, now I am sending you. And so what Jesus is doing is transferring in the thinking of the church that it was a place, then it was a person, and now it is a people. And you see that fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes down on the church and Jesus told them, you're going to be witnesses for me in the whole world, but wait till the Holy Spirit comes on you to empower you. And so they're waiting and the Holy Spirit came on them in this upper room experience and it says there was a sound like a mighty wind and then there were tongues of fire that came down on each one of them. And at that moment, what was happening was the fulfillment of Jesus' word as I have been sent, so I send you. And to help to understand that, Hebrews 1, 7 says this. It says, of his angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So what are angels like? They're like the wind. They're like flames of fire. And so when you see that in uh, Acts chapter 2, wind and flames of fire. This is hearkening back to Jacob's dream as well. And the angels ascending and descending. And that God's releasing his presence and his life into his people so that now we are the ones who open up for our, our own lives, our family lives, our community's life, uh, our workplace life, our neighborhood's lives. We are the conduit of heaven. Did you know that that's what you are? If you know Jesus, now if you haven't accepted Jesus yet, then that's cool. We're glad you're here. We want you to keep, keep coming and keep thinking about Jesus and, and, and uh, we just trust you to make the right decision. But if you've accepted Jesus, then he has made you a conduit of his life already. In fact, Jesus said this in John 7, and we're gonna end with this. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. All right, you believe in Jesus? Then Jesus said that out of you is going to flow living water. That means heaven's life. That's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, living water, heaven's life flowed through him. Now, the church body is that collectively, and we are that individually. And so, for you to understand, and for me to understand, that when we're in a room filled with people and we don't like the atmosphere, do you know what we can do? Just open a window, okay? You're the conduit. In that setting, you're the door. You can open the window. You can, you, you know, like whether you say it under your breath, you whisper it, or you feel like you have to say it out loud. I recommend if you're going to say it out loud, kind of like drop your pencil on the floor and clear your throat. As you're picking up your pencil, just say, heaven, come. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this room with your heaven's presence, heaven's atmosphere. And we, we have authority to, to fulfill God's will to bring heaven to earth by releasing his presence in, in for other people to experience. 
for family members, for people that we work with, for neighbors, wherever we are. And so just a couple of, um, of, of questions to ask. Do, do I ever feel like a nobody, like I'm unimportant, like, I, like other people are so much smarter or wiser or richer or more powerful than me that I have nothing to offer? Do you ever feel that way? That's a lie. That is a lie. If you know Jesus, then you are a portal. You, you have access to heaven, and you can release heaven into that situation. Okay, so uh, another question. Do I feel helpless in the face of human pain and suffering? Do you? Do I? That's, see, again, that's a lie. Because we are Jesus' agents on this earth. We are the, we're the gates now. He's the gate through us and in us, but that makes us in my presence. I carry the presence of God and the kingdom of God to release his presence into situations. Do I feel like a victim, like nothing I do makes a difference? And again, that's a lie. Uh, So just realize this. I am what Jacob dreamed about, okay? Can you think about that? You say that with me. I am what Jacob dreamed about. Let's say that together. I am what Jacob dreamed about. Because Jesus is in me. He has changed me. He has given me his life and authority. And as I walk with him, and as I am yielded to him, I have authority to release his presence into this world. That means to open up heaven and let heaven's environment flood in. So um, we're going we're gonna to worship. Lee's going to come back up and take us into the next section of our service here with the offering. But worship team's going to come up too. And we're going to have a great time worshiping.